I don't know if you know this about God, but God's a family man. <laughs> Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, God the Father calls himself Father because he wants to care for you as a father does his children. Jesus is called in the book of Hebrews, he's called our older brother. Wow. So he's the hero of the house. <laughs> if God's the father of the house, God the father, then Jesus is the hero of the house. And the Holy Spirit acts as the nurturer and the caregiver of the house. You know, like your mom always knows what's going on. The Holy Spirit is always present, always knows what's going on and pulls us in. So God's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he's a family man and he's pulling us in tonight to himself first and foremost to one another uh, for his glory. Hey, it is just such a joy to be with the family of God. And what I love about God and being with his family is that everybody can kind of go, ah, you can let your guard down. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. When you're in the house, everybody's welcome. We just gather together in the grace of God. And um, as uh, they said earlier, my name is Jimmy Seibert, and I want to introduce my actual family to you. I think some of y'all got to meet my son, Caleb. He spoke at the college retreat. Uh, so I think we got a pic of our family. This is Daniel just got married. For those who've known me for a while, I, that's hard to believe still. Um, but we'll just go left to right, says Kyle and Abby. Uh, they're a part of our Antioch DC church. Kyle works for Homeland Security. These are our three uh, little boys. Look at little Levi there in the middle. Miles got the uh, unique face there and little Elias. And she is pregnant with our second granddaughter due January 21st, praise God. There's Caleb, you guys met Caleb. He works in uh, DC as well and helped plant the church in um, uh, DC with worship leader there. Uh, and then uh, there is Kendall, our latest addition. Uh, Daniel and Kendall just got married on June 17th. They are both accountants, uh, but they are just killing it. We said that, we said what, Daniel got married and all of a sudden he turned into a spiritual giant. I mean, we, he was just Mr. Consistent, low-keyed. They're leading youth life group. They're leading a young adult uh, couples life group on marriage. They've been married three months. They're leading a marriage. Uh, we start them early here. They're praying about a church plant that we're doing. I'm like, what in the world? We tried to get him to do that stuff all those years, but one woman turns the corner in a moment. That is uh, Laura and I. Uh, married for 35 years. Gotta, thank you, Lord. Woo! She had me and stayed with me. All right. And this Brady and Lauren, and oh, there's little Jesse. But Lauren is pregnant, and she had our first granddaughter in July. And I think we've got a picture of our beauty, little uh, Hazel. Do we got a Hazel picture? Oh, isn't that beautiful? Did we get a couple more pics? Is that the only one that made it? Did one, a couple more make it? Okay, Jordan's got those. If you want to see some pics later, you can come up and say hi. And uh, I'll show you the pics of uh, the, the beauties. But anyway, we love our family. And, you know, we all got in this for Jesus. And we just said, look, we're going to love Jesus in this house. We're going to love each other. And we're going to stay on mission for the glory of God. Whatever that means, we're all in together. And we reserve the right to speak into each other's lives at any time, any place, in any way, so that we stay on course with God's purpose and plan for our lives. So the beautiful thing is everybody's serving Jesus. We all work together in kind of vicarious ways in different church plants. And it's just such a beautiful thing, multi-generational family. Now, God intends there to be multi-generational family in his house, right? So it says in Psalm 103, 17, if we fear the Lord, righteousness extends to our children's children. And when we talk about the move of God that we're longing for, we say, God, move in our generation. It's usually a bunch of youth or college students. Move in our generation as if you're leaving us behind. Like you think we're gonna fold the tent just because the next generation needs a move of God? Listen, we all live in a generation and we all need a move of God. I need to stay lit on fire 
right? I need to stay on fire for Jesus till the day I die and bring my contribution to our sons and daughters and then they bring their contribution to their sons and daughters. And the beauty of the church and what God wants to do here in Phoenix, in this house, in this place, is it's a multi-generational move of God. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the young people. It's not just the old. It's everybody together for the glory of God because grandpa needs still to give some advice to the parents. The parents still need to give advice to the kids and together there's a beauty that God is calling us to that's far beyond what we could even ask or think so um, let me just encourage you to lean into each other the reason I want you ask you to pray for each other is because um, nobody does well in isolation nobody does well in independence right we're not looking for you to be codependent but we're not looking for you to be independent we're looking for each other to be interdependent for the glory of god and when we lean into one another into jesus into the church we become what god wants us to be all right well there you go that 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 had nothing to do with the message but here we go now talking about family Um, I'm going to talk a little bit because I have the privilege of getting to help lead the Antioch movement overall. And so I just want to remind, hopefully, many of you, for some of you, bring you in. What is is one of the family words for Antioch, uh, the movement that that is now in 45 different nations? We have 45 U.S. churches, 100 locations, 45 nations. If you feel like God is leading you to a nation of the world, just ask the guys here on the staff. They'll tell you how to connect with what we're doing around the world. And if we're not in that nation, you are now knighted and dubbed and deputized to go to that nation and to establish the glory of God uh, in the name of Jesus. All right, family where we have Isaiah 54, two and three, enlarge the place of your tent. Can I just pause for a second and say this is an awesome word. Listen. It's the Bible, by the way, and it's also just take, actually do this for me. Just put your hands like this. That's how you receive a blessing. And actually, if you want a big blessing, you kind of you go like this, right? It's I want it all. I don't want just like, give me a little cup. I want, I want it all, right? So here we go. Receive the word of the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs for you tonight will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Whoa, that's powerful. And I've had the privilege of seeing that happen all over the world. And what I know about this house, what I know about Antioch Phoenix, is they are all about that. And so they are inviting you into it, but they are also standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before them. It's a multi-generational family word, and anybody that kind of comes into the vortex of that word gets sucked into it. Uh, when my son-in-laws were dating my daughters and we were meeting consistently, purposefully, and I was vetting them, uh, I... Uh, reminded them, hey, we've got some family words here. Are you good with that? Because this is going with you. Uh, if you're in this family, man, this is coming with you. You got a larger tent. You got to spread out your curtains. You got to go deep. You got to spread out to the right and left. If you're not into that, then you're not in. So they agreed. They're in. So uh, uh, with joy, they were already in. All right. So in 2020, in the midst of the desperation that a lot of us found ourselves in and the confusion and everything else, we, we really just said, okay, God, the bottom line is we just have to hear you. It's just lead us. We will follow. We can't figure out all the social problems of America. We can't figure out how to say this perfect, how to do that perfect. We can't figure out even how to gather, let alone, uh, you know, 20 other issues of the day. So God, if you would just speak, we will listen to you. And he reminded us of an experience I had in 2018. Hopefully this is a review for some of you guys. But in 2018, I had this, uh, this incredible vision or dream one night. And again, this is a rare thing in my life. And I'm looking out in this dream, I'm looking out over the harbor in New York City and over the Atlantic Ocean. And God speaks to me this phrase, I'm conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. 
And I'm thinking to myself in this dream, what does the word conscription mean? And I know it means something about the draft and it means something about the war and all that. I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, but I'm not sure exactly what it means. I wake up and then I have this picture in my mind of a boat going from New York, going from London to New York and God says, it's like the Queen Mary. So now there's two things I don't know anything about, conscription and the Queen Mary. And the conscription piece was a recalling of us as a people to surrender our lives wholeheartedly, not for our glory or our, um, um, even our, but our calling, but Lord, what do you want out of us as a people, not just me as a person? And he's saying, I want you to be so surrendered that you'll go where I go, you'll do what I do, and you'll say what I say. And yes, Lord, so we're in. The Queen Mary was this ship that was conscripted by the Allied forces, and it was a cruise ship that they retrofitted and turned it into a troop carrier. And this cruise ship would take troops to five different continents around the world, world and they and they would say in the history books that it would end up shortening the war by at least a year because this cruise ship turned into a troop carrier now there's so many things i could say about this but i heard all the only things i want you to get for tonight in that context is god is dealing with his church universal taking us from a cruise ship to a troop carrier because there is a war to be had for the souls of men and women here, there, and everywhere around the world. And we are to be retrofitted a surrendered people that are committed to the purposes of God so that we can be the arrows of God in this hour of God's glory showing up in the earth. And in the midst of this 2020 thing, God bringing that back up and he's saying, you guys responded in a measure, but I'm asking you to take the next five years and let me retrofit you and let me shape you and change you as a people so that you can take your place on the wall for the glory of God for this hour we're living in. Now, I know I'm talking about a lot of big stuff, but hang in there. Um, Here's the deal. This five-year window, 2021 to 2025, deeply matters in the earth. If you're not even a Christian, you can say there are big things going on in our world. There are challenging things. There are shifts going on geopolitically. There are challenges in the world around us. Somebody's got to have an answer. And God is raising up his people who are fully surrendered to him to be an answer to a world in chaos. And we, we are the people of God who have the heart and mind of God for the purposes of God to be seen and done in the midst of a world that's gone, that's losing it, right? The wheels are off. There is no moral center geopolitically anymore. So God is allowing his church to be pruned and shaped and rearranged so that we can be the moral voice and center for what is needed. That is not in arrogance, in all humility on behalf of the people of the earth, God, would you change us and rearrange us for such a time as this? So your surrender tonight is not just for your own good, it is for God's glory and the need that is going on in the earth for the people of God to be wholly his. This is a huge deal. So 2021, God pruned and retrofitted and worked with us. 2022 has all been about prayer and intercession. And we're seeking God about 2023. God, how do we build out this bigger picture? But here's the deal. What we've been saying is, God, give us your blueprints for what you're about to do and what you're wanting to do. And in the middle of this question of God, would you teach us how to be retrofitted, how to be your people, uh, I had a a couple of people had some significant encounters with God. And um, one of these guys is a guy in Switzerland who is now a friend of ours. And this guy in Switzerland, he um, uh, it was in ministry for 10 years, then he built houses for 10 years, but he's always been consecrated to the Lord. His deal is just God, whatever, he and his whole family. And God speaks to him to, say, to, to, uh, find, to build a farm in Switzerland or to, to own a farm in Switzerland where people can come from around the world, meet with God, be healed, trained, restored, and sent out to touch the world. That's always been a calling on the nation of Switzerland. Hang with me, you guys. All right, this big story. All right, so this guy, he, his name's Tillman, he's praying one night and he has a vision 
from God. And in the vision, a ship comes onto his property and written across the ship is the word Antioch. And the Lord says to him, I'm bringing Antioch to you to give you the blueprints. Now, he's, he doesn't know what in the world that means. The next day, two of our young ladies who were led by the Holy Spirit to meet with some leaders in Switzerland felt led of the Lord. They, they said, you've got to meet a guy named Tillman. They go to meet Tillman the next day. They said, hey, our friends said that we were to meet you, that you had a vision from God. Uh, uh, they didn't know what it was about. And he shares this vision. He said, by the way, who are you guys with? And they said, we're with Antioch. He said, no way, you're with Antioch. It was written on the side of this ship. Where's the blueprints? <laughs> and some other friends came and then I met with him this summer in Geneva and he's going to be with us at our team leader gathering in Rome here in just uh, next month. But what I'm, why I'm sharing these crazy bigger picture stories is to let you know that God's at work. God is at work supernaturally connecting people for his glory for such a time as this. And you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. So when we say, what are the blueprints? Of course, we could talk about all kinds of things. But here's the deal. God's blueprints are all throughout the scripture. Antioch doesn't have the blueprints. God has the blueprints through his word. And when we're asking God, God, I need to know you. God, I need a move of the Holy Spirit. God, I need you to change me. I need to rearrange me. Where's the blueprints throughout the scripture? It's this basic rhythm of we see the Lord for who he really is. We then are undone by our own sin and we pour out our hearts to God and say, I don't need that junk, I need God. And then when we are wholly surrendered, then God speaks and leads us to our assignment on the earth, in our city, and in our place. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing that happens over and over again in the Bible. Somebody discovers God again, then they realize they need God to get rid of the junk in their lives, then it makes a highway of holiness for the Spirit of God to speak and then change their world and the world around them. Are y'all ready? Okay, now that was the intro. Isaiah chapter six. If you got a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter six. Here's a blueprint for you that'll carry you whatever God has for you. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I could stop there and worship all night just with that one, one thought. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Whew. God's in Russia right now. God's in the Ukraine. God's in Uganda. God's in the inner cities of America. His glory is out there hovering waiting to be seen and made manifest. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me for I'm ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, here am I, send me. All right, here we go. We're going to unpack it. In the year of King Uzziah, Isaiah saw the Lord. Every move of God starts with somebody seeing the Lord. You got to see him. You got to see him for who he is and who he says he is. It's not, um, you don't decide who he is, you let him reveal who he is. Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw the Lord coming at him. Now let me just help you to let you know that you've already seen the Lord. Okay, you ready? How many people in this room are saved? Raise your hand. Okay, you've seen the Lord. You've seen the God of salvation. Somewhere in your mind's eye, through the scripture, through revelation, you knew, I need a Savior, so you saw the Lord as a Savior. 
When I was 17 years old, I heard the gospel for the first time. I prayed to receive Jesus. The way I knew that I had the Lord was that for the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone. My testimony is the God who is with me, right? And then as you go along, he's the God of salvation. Then he's your God of provision. You know, you pray for something, you need something, you see, wow, God provided something supernaturally or God intervened in a situation or I saw him work in my family or whatever. We see him as the God of provision. He becomes Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And then we have to decide, are we going beyond salvation and provision? And to do that, we have to allow him to reveal himself on his terms, not on our terms. Okay? And Isaiah was positioned to see the Lord in all of his glory. And when you position yourself to to seek out God for who he is, instead of who you want him to be, he reveals himself in a way that you never could even have imagined far beyond what you could ask or think. For me, that journey has been looking at him in the scriptures for who he says he is, not just who I want him to be. All right, let me give you an example. Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and who taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. So let me just review that. Here's how big God is. He holds the waters in the palm of his hand. He weighs the Himalayas and the Rockies in a balance. He tells man, who are you to tell me what to do? I literally have all knowledge and all counsel for everything. Isaiah will later say, shall the pot say to the potter, what are you making? When you come to the place that God is not only the God of creation, but the God who holds the world in his hands, who is the God who directs all of life, then you fall on your face and you say, who am I to accuse you, O God? Who am I to declare who you are or who you're not? You alone, O God, rule the heavens and the earth, and I am yours, O God. Blow me where you will. There is the height of your revelation is the depth of the impossibility that you will see happen in your life. If you have a small God, you will have a small experience. If you have a almighty large God, if you see him for who he says he is, all things are possible, right? Let let me give you an example just off of this scripture. So it says the nations are a drop in the bucket to God. All right. And so several years ago, I was meditating on this passage and we were trying to get into the country of Afghanistan. And this was in the late 1990s. And there's were two small problems. One was the Taliban was controlling the country and the visas, but the Northern Alliance was in the north and they had kicked out all of the foreigners. And basically there wasn't a way in as far as the natural eye could see. So I'm meditating on this passage. We feel like God spoke to us in a world mandate to go to Afghanistan. This is before a lot of people went to Afghanistan, okay? And we just said, okay, God, if you're the God who holds the water in your hands, if you're the God that measures the mountains in a balance, then God, you can open the door to Afghanistan. We were already in a neighboring country called Uzbekistan. So uh, we said, all right, let's go to Uzbekistan and try to find a way into Afghanistan, right? Isn't that normally what you would do? Just, I mean, you just say, all right, let's get as close as we can. Can I, can I, just, can I just say, that's what faith is. Faith is you take the step that you can, trusting God with what you cannot do, but you don't sit around and do nothing. So I'd like to be a moving target for Jesus. So let's just keep going. 
So we go to Uzbekistan. I, I literally, and this is the honest truth, I had $20. I've got the flight there and a flight back, but I had $20. And uh, God said, go anyway. I get there, and uh, our team leader in Uzbekistan brought a friend with him. And he said, we were in a prayer meeting yesterday, and my friend said that God spoke to him that whatever your needs were financially, he was to meet your needs. Do you have any needs? I said, yes, all needs. Uh, like uh, everything. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now look, some of you guys are sitting like, wow, I wish I could have a story like that, or whoa, what planet's that guy from, or whatever. Listen, I'm just like you, but I've seen the Lord. I've seen him in his, I, I have seen him in his glory. He is almighty God. I've chosen to believe who he is, and when you step out by faith in his bigness, then you see him more. So I, then I saw his hand provide. So then they said, I said, well, can we get into Afghanistan? They said, no, nobody can get in right now. I said, well, okay, do you know anybody that maybe could get in? And so they said, well, let's go to the international church. So all the foreign workers and internationals, they had a church service and they asked me to preach. And I preached on Isaiah 40. God holds the water in his hand. God moves the mountains in a balance. The nations are dropping a bucket. And I'm in that service preaching, and I said, and we're trying to get into Afghanistan, and we're believing that if the nations are dropping a bucket, that God will make a way. So at the end of preaching, we pray over everybody to believe for high faith and to move mountains, and it's awesome. I still remember I'm standing on top of a chair because I can't get to everybody, and we're praying over everyone. It's awesome. You guys ought to try it. It's really just so much fun. So we're in that setting, and... Um, this guy comes up and he says, can you talk to me, sir? And I said, yeah. And he said, my name is Ayub. My father is uh, the, uh, the chief of staff to um, General Dostum, who runs the North Alliance. Do you really want to come to Afghanistan? Yes, Ayub, I just said, I want to go to Afghanistan. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, well, General uh, Dostum is meeting with President Karimov of Uzbekistan, and uh, tomorrow you will meet him, and he will make a way for you. So, very long story short, we get picked up with two gunmen and, a, and a, a four-door Toyota SUV. They tell us to get out of the car slowly to walk over to General Dostum. Don't put out your hand until he puts his hand. And you know, I'm good with that. We're, we're all totally good with that. And then we go into his little miniature palace and he uh, this was set up in Uzbekistan. And literally he sits on like a throne and we sit next to him and we're praying, God, what do we say? To General Dolstum. He had killed half his family. This guy's like a bad dude. But we have a meeting with him. And I just felt like the Lord said, ask the guy if there's anything we can do for him. <laughs> I said, hey, we're a small organization. We got a little medical thing going, a little educational thing. Is there anything we can do for your family or you? We're not a big organization. Is there anything we can do for you? And he paused, and I mean, I have witnesses, there were two people there with me. It's like a little tear, on, and he said, nobody's ever asked what they could do for my family. I said, well, God cares about your family. I, uh, we love Jesus, we pray for Afghanistan, and we want the best for you and your people. Could we come and serve you? He said, yes, you can have a visa. So within, <laughs> within, so we fly down to the border, we drive into Afghanistan, and we get to Mazari Sharif, which is the capital of the north. We get to Mazari Sharif. We tell, we're told where to pull up. It's the it is the 18th century palace castle that this guy lives in, and all his generals meet us and bring us in to have a meal. And they said, "What do you want?" And we said, "Well, uh, uh, can we talk to the all the medical students uh, about?" American culture and you know what we know about life and all that they said well the general Dulcim said you can do whatever you want so it's okay great so we get all these medical students together and we share the gospel and we talk about American culture and American culture has religion that religion is Christianity and, and this is what that is actually by definition and would you like to respond to this beautiful message of God's grace through Jesus? And so we just went for it. I mean, you're, you're already out there. No, you, no need to balk now. I mean, and then we said we want to meet with the head of the university. We met with the head of the university. And then one of his generals was named General Malek. And we met with General Malek. 
And what, and um, ultimately, just to fast forward the story, after two or three days, we uh, are supposed to meet with General Dulcim to negotiate an opportunity to stay long haul in the country to make room for some friends. And, and we're about to meet with him and I get violently ill, like throwing up beyond what I've ever experienced before. And the, there's a war, there's a, a breakout of war on the Northern Front, Dulcim flies off, we don't get to meet with him, but so, so ultimately the only person we really, in his cabinet that we got to share with was General Malek. Well, several months later, General Malek tries to do a coup on General Dulcim, he gets killed, and he was the guy that we shared the whole gospel with before his imminent death. I thought, way to go God, way to go God. Uh, this is a whole other story. My sickness eventually turns into salmonella, they, and, and I literally end up with this Finnish nurse taking care of me, um, laying on this bathroom floor, and I'm telling my friends, I don't wanna die uh, because of food poisoning. Could you drag me out to the street to say Jesus and be shot, at least for preaching the gospel <laughs> in a Muslim country? It would be embarrassing to say, and he went with the Lord in the bathroom floor uh, through dysentery. <laughs> whole nother story we got out of the country etc and we've worked in afghanistan ever since then so okay so here's the deal your vision of seeing the lord determines the impossibilities that you'll overcome in life and so you have to see him not just as your savior not just as the guy that helps you and provides for you but you need to see him in his glory the book of Revelation says they were looking in heaven in Revelation 5, and it says they're weeping because no one was found worthy to open the seals of the revelation of God's design for mankind. But then they said, there is one, though, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is worthy to break the seals and open the revelation of God. So when we're saying, I want to know more about God, I want to see the bigness of God, we've got to see the beauty and the exaltation of Jesus. And here's the exclusivity of Jesus. There is no one worthy on the planet to get rid of sin but Jesus alone. He is the only man, the only God-man ever on the earth, on the planet, of all the gods that have been created and all the gods that will be created, there's only one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus. And again, some of y'all are still looking, where's that guy coming from? What planet's he on? Listen, Jesus is worthy. I mean, he is worthy. He is just, it is, whoa, it's me, undone. But in his worthiness, I go low, and then he lifts my head in his graciousness. Woo! Salvation is grace because I am unworthy because of sin, but I am loved because of grace. The one who died and was crucified, the one who sits above the earth, the one whom every uh, family names, uh, names its name of heaven and earth, the one whom everything will be submitted, every demon, every devil, every God will come and bow to the feet of Jesus for all time, for eternity. That one looked at me and said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And through his death, burial, and resurrection made a way for me to lift my head and to not live in the bondage of sin, but live in liberty and freedom by grace. I just, here's what, I, I just want to run down the aisles and I want to say, believe it in the name of Jesus. Just believe this, Lord, by revelation. Yes, I mean, really, yes. That, that if I could just, listen, for all you young people, if, if I was your dad, I would just come and hug you till you believed that I loved you. That's what I would do. I would just sit and just say, you have to believe that I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has not only been high and lifted up, not only has made a way for salvation, but he has put himself inside of you by the Holy Spirit so that you are never alone. And he testifies that you are a child of the living God. That is a mind blower. It's a heart exploder. (laughs) And that revelation makes you fearless. 
right? Because whatever you fear will dominate you. So God put fearlessness inside of you by the Holy Spirit so that you could be a potent weapon against the enemy in the earth today because we need you. I know I'm going all over the place, but it's the Lord trying to get through to you. And here's, here's the deal. Guys, gals, wherever you are, we need you. God cares about you. He loves you. He did everything possible to make a way for you to be loved, forgiven, cared for, and empowered, equipped, and sent for whatever he wants to do in the earth. And you're the answer to God's glory being seen and known in the earth, in your neighborhood, in your family, among your friends, in the nation of the earth, in Phoenix, Arizona. We are what God has to work with. I wouldn't have chosen us, but he did. That's how awesome he is. He is worthy. I've known the Lord for 41 years. I'm as excited today, 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 today. Trey and I were in the airport just going back and forth. What about this about Jesus? What about that about Jesus? We are just, just going at it because we're alive. We're not dead. We're not looking at retirement or some easy way out in life. I may die this year. Praise the Lord. <laughs> if God tells me to go to Afghanistan, whoa, let's go. If God tells me to go to Washington, D.C., if God tells me to go to my neighbor, what's there to fear? I'm not my own anyway. This life is passing away, you guys. It's like, boom. It's a moment. It's a breath. But what is eternal is what Isaiah saw. Gotta get back to my message. Isaiah, <laughs> he saw the Lord. Wow, I mean, oh, I just, if I, I, Trey, what do I do? I just feel so deeply that we gotta get this. The, the, the Lord of all creation is revealing himself to you through his word and by his spirit so that you may be strong in the grace of God and fully alive in everything that God has called you to do and be and be free to not live like the world, <laughs> but to live for another kingdom, right? We're not of another world. I love that kickoff. That is true. And I think you believe that I believe that. All right, so <laughs> he sees the Lord and then here's what happens. It says the threshold shook. What's a threshold? It's a doorway. Oh, man. Oh, uh, tell me. I, I, I know. I know. I know. I, I, I'm looking at the clock. Okay, good. All right. Okay, here we go. Because all these are three sermons, right? So the doorway, the threshold, God's given us the keys to the kingdom to open the door. Boom. But you don't get the key and the door doesn't open unless you see the Lord. You see the Lord, the junk shakes out of your life, you get a key and you open the door, and boom, things begin to happen. Things begin to change in your life, your marriage, your family, your kids, your worldview, your calling, your vocation, everything changes because now God's opening the doors by the Holy Spirit because you've let him shake out the stuff that's not of God. When we see the Lord, and, and like, I mean, here's a, here's a funny one. I mean, we can just laugh at this. You think that giving up something in the world is a sacrifice. <laughs> That's such a joke. <laughs> to give up something in the world is a sacrifice to get God. I mean, this, this is, the, okay. <laughs> I want my little trinket. I want my car. I want a new car. And I'm going to leverage myself out. And I'm going to get a fight with my wife. And I'm going to do everything. Because I need a new car. Because that makes me happy. If I don't have a car, then God doesn't care about me. And i got to have a perfect car. I mean, we are obsessed with a car when you could have God and walk. I would rather walk <laughs> with God than drive a fancy car out of all my anxiety, stress, and press to try to be something that I'm not anyway. 
All right, there we go. I'm not against cars. I, I have one. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So we've seen the Lord. And when we see the Lord in his beauty and his glory, things start shaking and breaking, and we start getting into the doorway because now we can see the Lord and we can get the keys to the kingdom and step into what God has for us. All right. So then Isaiah the things are shaking. Whoa, woe is me. Worthy is the Lord. I see him. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh no, whoa, I am a sinner. I am undone. I don't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there a few times. It's terrifying, but it's beautifully terrifying. At a few world mandates, I've been down on my face before crying out to God, and I still remember one in particular, and I'm just saying, God, everything in me is evil. <laughs> no motive is right. I can't love anyone well. I don't, I just, everything in me is wrong. God, Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners, but I'm the chiefest of sinners. Oh, God. And at the same time, it felt so good to just be honest with me apart from God. And in those places of just pouring my junk out to God, then for him to just begin to just love me and wash me and care for me and say, I got you, man. We're going to do this together. You're right. You are a sinner. You're a mess. But I'm with you. <laughs> and some of you will say, oh, well, God wouldn't say that about you. No, you, you are a mess. You, you know that, right? I, don't, I mean, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin is ugly. It's bad, nasty, wrong, terrible, right? But that's not who you are. You're a child of God, redeemed by the grace of God. But you got to come to the place of laying it all out so that, here's the way I, way I describe it this way. Isaiah 35 says there's a highway of holiness and it's for the redeemed who lay themselves out. If you, if you lay everything before God and let him to determine your life and what grace is, then it creates a highway of holiness for the Holy Spirit to lead your life. And that's what you're made for. Oh, all right. So what are some of those blocks? I know you need a few reminders of what sin is. So here we go. Here's a couple of thoughts. <laughs> Idolatry is sin. Anything that exalts itself above God, anything that worships the creature instead of the creator is called sin. Sin literally means missing the mark. You're missing the mark of God's design for your life. So here's a few, a few uh, biggies that uh, are, we all struggle with, and that is we have idols of money, possessions, and position. So one of the first things that God did when he called Laura and I to just say, God, we are wholly yours to do whatever you want, for us, he asks us to sell everything. And when, when I say that, people say, you can't say that. There's great people that don't need to sell everything, and I'm afraid that people are gonna sell everything. I haven't met a big onslaught of people selling everything. I, I, that, that has not been the fallout of World Mandate. Very few people actually take, a, take me up on that. So I'm just gonna say it and give you a chance to seek God about what you need to do. But for us, we needed to sell everything we to, to extract what we call the suburban soul out of us so that we could then pick up where God wanted us to uh, follow him for our provision. We worked hard, we were diligent, we were faithful. This isn't about hard work, diligence, faithful, worked our tails off, but we were saying, God, you're gonna be our provider. We're done with providing for ourselves. We're gonna be faithful, diligent workers, but we're gonna trust you with the provision. Therefore, we can do any job. Nothing's below us and nothing's above us. If you make us a millionaire, and I know a lot of great millionaires, and even I know a couple billionaires who love God with all their heart, they give away 90% of what they have. But if they weren't doing it when they were making 50,000 a year, they're not gonna do it when they're making 50 million a year, I promise you. So that selling everything allowed us to clear the decks of our hearts so that possessions didn't have us. So here we go. <laughs> you want revival, but you gotta let go of something to get something. This is the way that it works. I lay out, God, I give you my sin and I get grace. 
God, I give you my possessions or at least the rights over my possessions and God fills in the gaps with glory. But when I'm directing my own life, God's saying, great, you can still direct your own life. You want a little bit of worship? Want a little good word? Want some nice community? You can have that. Great. I love you. Great. But you'll miss the glory of God. Something's got to leave for something to come in. Two things can't occupy the same space, self and glory. Right? God's glory, not man's glory. So we have to give up our glory in seasons and cyclically so that God's glory can come in. And just, by the way, we live in a house, a really nice house. We have two cars. We, we have full provision, but God cyclically challenges us to let go of everything, and we would walk out of our house tomorrow if God directed it because we've already done it. Okay, all right. So. I'm not worried about a run on selling everything, so there you go. Just pray about it, all right? All right, okay, so here we go. Second deal, um, uh, among other deals, the second deal is, <clears throat> what did I call this, Trey? I, we talked about this earlier today. I got a new word coming in, just for y'all. Uh, the idol of being known and recognized. Mmm, all right, you ready? <laughs> I don't trust you, Jimmy, because I don't feel known. If you don't know me, then you can't say anything to me from the word of God because I don't feel known. That's scary. You're going to miss God. Remember, this isn't about you, by the way. And actually getting rid of more of you will get you more of God. So whether you know me or not, if there's something you got from God, I need it. I don't need to be known for somebody to tell me the truth. I need help. If you need help, you don't care where it comes from, right? And again, for all the counselors out there, I'm so sorry. I just want to say, I know the process and I counsel people, I comfort people, I do care for people, I sit and let them be known, I, all that, I promise, okay. But what I'm trying to get to is surrender. Surrender means I am not demanding that somebody treat me a certain way for me to follow God and his ways. I'm not demanding for somebody to make me feel this way or that way. I am known by God and loved by God. Therefore, I'm surrendered to God and I am not demanding that everybody know me or give me credit or give me respect or give me honor. Ask King David, when you get to heaven, about the process of God knowing where you live. If you, every know that some of the, some, the only people that laughed are those who know the story. Go read the story. He was the seventh son in who's getting the inheritance. First son, a little bit down the line. Who's serving everybody the rest of their life as a sheep herder? The youngest son. But God sends Samuel to David, he says, God doesn't see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance or the pecking order of life or the social structure, but God doesn't work that way. He sees the heart, anoint this one, I've called him and raised him up for such a time as this. God knows where you live. He knows what your challenges are, he know, and he empathizes deeply. He deeply cares about everything in your life. He's the comforter. That's what the Holy Spirit's called. But you can't demand that man affirms you to find the will of God and the glory of God in this hour. All right. So just a third one, and then we'll, we'll kind of turn the corner here. Uh, the idol of sex. Okay? Oh, okay. There we go. That's it. I knew he was going there. All right. <laughs> so it's an idol. Right, God created it, yes, it's beautiful, wonderful, in the context of God and everything else. But let me just, guys, we're selling out for some temporal pleasure in exchange for the pleasure of the living God that touches places that no sexual act can. Yes. 
You know why people turn perverted to the place of having to be locked up in their sexual pursuits? Because it never satisfies. The last act demands another act and it has to get deeper and darker and more broken. The reason we gotta figure out a way to let go of porn and deal with our junk is because it doesn't stop. It's not a neutral experience. It has such power on it that it destroys people and takes them out because God created us for pleasure, but that our pleasure would be in Him and we would be covenanted to Him and then the appropriate ways sexuality would be expressed in the context of marriage, but outside of that, we wouldn't be dealing with it so that we would not um, be taken away by another lover. Let me, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. Um, what I say is all sexual sin is a relational breakdown, not just a behavioral problem. 2 Corinthians 11, I wish that you would put up with a little foolishness. That's what I'm asking tonight. For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, Paul's saying, but I betrothed you to one husband so that as to Christ that I might present you as a pure virgin, but I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The marriage of God, the covenant of God, is a holy, exclusive fidelity relationship. And look, you guys, I struggle. We all struggle. We're all, we're all you know, broken, okay? So grace, grace to, to, to the journey. But you've got to decide what the destination is. The destination is fidelity to Christ. The destination is fidelity to one and to find my pleasure in my relationship with God and wholesome relationship with others so that I don't have to be addicted to stuff that eventually destroys me and the other people that I love around me. That's what's happening, you guys. So you can't see the Lord when you're doing all that other junk. And, and here, okay. Okay, eight minutes, got it. Revelation 2. All right, here's, here's church of, of Revelation. Here's the deal. Because I said I could die tomorrow, that's why I just get it all out tonight. All right, so here we go. <laughs> Revelation 2. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. This is a manipulative sexual spirit, not just a female, but a, it's a spirit, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She did not want to repent of her immorality. Be able to throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Then drop down to verse 26. Remember, these charged to the churches are places of repentance. And then he says, if you overcome, here's what you get. But he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. This is world mandate. <laughs> We're here saying, God, give us the nations of the earth for your glory. God, come and send people. God, send laborers. God, would you take people out of brothels? Would you take people out of the sex slave industry? God, would you come and, and Muslims who are going to hell? God, would you come and send the message of hope and send them to heaven? God, would you come to the Buddhist world, the Hindu world? God, your people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. Spirit of the living God, we, your people, call out. Send us to the nations, God. Move. Take the darkness out. Drive out the abuse, God, and bring in your life in America and around the world. We are calling calling out for the nations. But what happens is because we give ourselves over to sexual brokenness outside of the context of God, we have no authority. We have no power to affect the nations. If you hate the sex slave industry, then quit watching porn. If you say, I hate divorce, then quit being a fornicator or an adulterer. If you say, I want power in my life, then you got to quit giving your strength away to sexual sin. That's the truth. And God is inviting us to a place of freedom. Now, let me say this again. 41 years, you guys, I've been trying to help people. I had to come out of sexual sin. I've had to get victory again and again and again and again. So I am with you. 
I've had to have victory over that. I've had to have victory over possessions. I've had to have victory over my need for empathy and care. I've had to find God in every one of the things I just listed to you last year, let alone 41 years ago. I'm not in bondage, by the way, people just, I'm, I'm good. But, what, I, but I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is this, is that we're all in it together, friends. And don't let the devil lie to you right now. I got to run out of here right now. This is, this is ridiculous. I can't stay in here because I'm not like everybody else. I'm struggling. Can I tell you, everybody's struggling with something in this room. The question is, in the family room, are we going to come to the father of the house and the savior of our souls and lay it all out so that he can create a highway of holiness, not only for our own deliverance and well-being, but for the power of God to be made manifest in our neighbors, in our friends, and in the nations of the earth. We did a little deal um, in World Mandate in Waco, and we, um, we did a little video and interviewed people from 1998. I know some of y'all weren't even born then, but 1998. We had a World Mandate, and we had people come and lay out before God and write down on a piece of paper what their commitment was. And people said, one guy said, Lord, I want to care, I want to see Russia change for your glory, God. I'm willing to give myself for the Russian people. I'm willing to give myself to black America. This one particular man, he took seventh graders from uh, uh, black young men and he discipled them, did two cycles of that, 10 years, two cycles where they all loved God, either schooling, education, he still keeps in touch with them today. Then he went to Russia, served 12 years. Right, And then I had him come out on stage because the last three years he's had a neurological disorder that's, not, that's taken away his speech. He's still cognitive, but he can't talk. And when his speech started going, he couldn't share the gospel like he normally does. He, he lives in Waco and was working with us. And he would write his testimony on a piece of paper and hand it out because he couldn't get the words out. His wife told me he still, he goes on jogs four times a week and he has a stack of tracks and he shares the gospel. He can't even talk. But in 1998, he came down to an altar and he said, God, I'm in for whatever you want. And he stayed faithful because God's power showed up in the midst of his sacrificial act. And what I would say to you tonight is this. I know I've gone all over the place. I know we've talked about a lot of stuff. But here's what I would say to you tonight. Come and lay out before God. And whatever your stuff is, he's greater than your stuff. Amen. Isaiah saw the Lord so high and lifted up that it caused him to say worthy. Then he experienced the grace of God. Then when God said, I need somebody, whoo, the God who would forgive me, love me, care for me is not he worthy of my life? This is not about being perfect. This is about being surrendered. I want you to see the Lord. I want you to see the Lord tonight. I want you to see the Lord all weekend. But to see the Lord, we got to lay ourselves out and open our lives to the Lord so that he can come. Everyone, we stand up together. Love you guys. <laughs> So much, I just, maybe, maybe I'll pull the old man card. I just know a little bit more than maybe some of your journey to know this, that you'll never regret surrendering more. You'll never say, I wish I would have given less. <laughs> you won't do it. You won't. So let's give him what we have tonight. You guys, come on up. Worship guys, come on up. So here's what I want to say. If you're ready to just say, God, I'm yours, just come on right now. Just lay, lay your little body out before God. Just come on. And you don't have to. No, I mean, really, Spirit of God, this is just, this is a, I don't, there's nothing about this other than God, we, we need you. If you need God more than self, <laughs> if you need help, then just lay out before God. We want to help you. And even more so, God wants to help you. And whatever your issue is or is not, I just want you to know there's grace for it.
and we will be gracious because God's been gracious with us. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and just put that blanket around us right now. Just pull us into the Father. Just pull us in. Pull us into the Father tonight. Pull us into the Father. Pull us in tonight. We need you. Wherever you are in your chair, you can sit down or get on your knees or just stand there if you like. But all of us together, Holy Spirit, just ask Him to speak. Just speak to us, God. We want to hear You. We want You. We need You. We need You, God. We need You to deliver us from evil. We need You to slay the dragons of pornography and addiction, fear and anxiety infidelity come slay the dragons God just come slay the dragons yeah just just say Lord come come get them Lord just come deal with the stuff in me that you want to get rid of 